0: Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are...
1: My name is Dan, and I am from the Fear the Boot podcast at feartheboot.com.
2: Hello, I'm Cheyenne. I'm from the Chicks with Crits podcast.
3: <laughs> hey, I'm Wayne. I'm also from Fear the Boot.
1: You know, I was telling someone about the Chicks with Crits name
3: because i was
1: commenting i said uh it it just i don't know the way things are right now like when men make a podcast name they have to be you know kind of careful about where they go with it i said all the edgy podcasts i know in terms of name they're all female dominated it's like you know chicks with crits resting glitch face you know these
2: (laughs) we can name ourselves that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's
1: that's your word.
2: Exactly. You can use that. All the best names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so the topic that we're talking about today is uh, non-gaming source inspirations for games. So this could be for game plots, game worlds, for specific characters, uh, but finding your inspiration somewhere other than the RPG book and bringing that into the role-playing game. So, you know what, Chan, I'm going to start with you. Can you give me an example of a time you've done this?
2: Um, yeah, actually, creating the gods for the first uh, season, of the sun, the moon, and what falls between. I, I started off with um, fairy tales. The biggest one is like uh, Sleeping Beauty inspired. You have Sleeping Beauty. If you go back farther, you have the sun, the moon, and Talia, which is another sleeping beauty type story. If you go back farther than that, one of the very first uh, sleeping people you'll find, like fairy tales, is actually about a prince that the moon falls in love with and like puts them into a magical sleep. So I decided like to go back that far enough that'll help create the gods for this world, which will help create the conflict because they need to find the newest incarnations of the sun and moon, right? So I've gone back to mythology from like folklore and stuff. That's typically what I uh, use to create like my world and stuff for my campaign this time around. And I've also asked my uh, characters, my players, I asked them, pick a fairy tale myth or a legend to base your character on. And they came up with some pretty interesting and fun, uh, uh, creative ways to do this.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting how actually a lot of games I, I think we take for granted that's how they themselves did it. Um, let's say good old D&D, many of the deities in multiple worlds of d are taken from actual mythology or based on uh, Norse or Gaelic or any number of other sources for their, their list of gods. Uh, Of course, even the basic archetypes that are available in the game are based on the adventuring party of Lord of the Rings. Um, Yeah, you look at modern day superheroes and they're just the new generation of Greek myths.
3: I mean, some of them even came back in. I mean, you've got Hercules, you've got Thor from Norse mythology.
1: Yeah, and so I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that at its heart, Role-playing is just a form of collaborative storytelling, nothing more, nothing less. And so when you look at books or movies or mythology or any number of things, uh, what are you looking at is other stories. And they could be fictional stories. They don't have to be. I think history is a great source of inspiration. And, you know, to adapt those stories into a role-playing game is not a huge leap because you're talking about, I mean, it's an apples to apples sort of thing of, you know, this this is a, a source of story that you're bringing into a different medium of story.
3: Yeah, history is a big one for me, but not necessarily looking back at how things actually happen. I love when I travel to go to historical sites and go to places that have really interesting architecture. And I just take a ton of pictures. And then I start asking myself, in my game, how would you know, this world event affect this town. Uh, one of the big examples for me is I love the town of Metropolis, Illinois. So I was playing a Skies of Glass game that Dan was running, and I just asked him the question of, you know, okay, well, what, what happened to Metropolis? And his answer was, I don't know, you tell me. So that was actually the first con game I ever ran was a Skies of Glass game set in Metropolis where I had gone to the town so many times I was looking at, you know, the history of it where there had been a fort that had been a French fort that was then turned over. And why was the fort there? Because it was such a wonderful spot overlooking the river, overlooking the bridge and thinking forward into the future of a post apocalyptic world. Those are the things that you're going to need as well. So I just started thinking, okay, well, that city didn't get bombed. What happens to it? And it, went back to the history of what happened to it
1: when it was being built. So I see Chris in chat, and I think he's got an unfair advantage because he's seen a lot more of history than most of us have. So he can just kind of think back through where he's been and what's happened. Um, But yeah, there's another one in there in chat right now, which is uh, VC Young who's mentioning that he threw us in our current Skies of Glass actual play, which is a homebrew post-nuke game, uh, he gave us the suggestion of Amboy because uh, the party at the time was in North like, Central Illinois. And there's a town out there called Amboy Illinois, which I was not familiar with, that has, like, you have the actual town and then, like, right outside of the town is sort of surrounding it are all of these buried military bunkers that were built originally in world war II, And they saw some reuse in later years. And it was always kind of this, you know, shady sort of thing about nobody knew exactly what the military was doing there. And as of today, they would have gone back to being inert and unused, but I wasn't even aware of the existence of these bunkers. So the moment he told me, hey, they're right by a town that has this, you know, these hidden military complexes with all this weird history and conspiracy surrounding them, it's like, I've got to do something with this. You know, I I didn't initially have an idea of exactly what I was going to do, but I mean, that'd be, be criminally squanderous to not take advantage of that. You know, I mean, there's got to be something cool there. Um,
3: Anytime I see a weird location, I start thinking, how could it be something bigger and better and more interesting? The uh, right near my house, there's a uh, sculpture park, big giant sculptures. So I've worked that into my games a few times because it's a unique location.
2: For me, I work at a, a couple different hospitals and. I work in the mailroom and to get into certain offices, I have to have, you know, like authorized personnel only. And so I end up sometimes in small, tiny hallways and I just like feels like, how can I translate this into game? Just walking into just different parts of a building you're not used to, right? Like even that can be like crazy and inspiring for certain like situations and stuff.
1: So going back to chat, Chris was rolling with our joke and he said his dementia is the secret sauce. (laughs) But I I think there, I mean, jokes aside, I think there is kind of something to that. The random usings of your own mind, the things that you see in a day, the things that you experience in a day, Uh, people watching, if you're into people watching, that's a great source for NPCs. You know, you, you walk into a store and you see an elderly couple bickering about something nonsensical, man, just capture that moment. You know, you've got two great NPCs right there. Um, But, you know, sort of riffing off his dementia comment, one of the things that I have, and I, I recognize not everyone has this, but I have very vivid and very memorable dreams. So my dreams are very real feeling. And when I wake up, I tend to remember them quite well. And I know some people don't remember their dreams at all, but uh, I once had a dream about a murder mystery involving a person who was laundering his identity through an animal name. And (laughs) yeah, so Wayne, if you listen to our Skies of Glass AP, you know where this is headed. And so I I kind of sat on that. Like I thought, like, man, I gotta do something with this, because it was a really neat story. Uh and I thought, man, I gotta do something with this. And so for a while I thought, well, maybe I'll make a short story out of it or something like that. But then I was I just happened to be watching the trailer for it was the teaser trailer, the first one for the James Bond movie Spectre. And you know, I think Spectre is a fantastic enemy. I wish they had done more with it in the movie, but you know, Spectre is just this all-encompassing. They are everywhere. They are everything. You do not escape them. Everybody, somewhere up the chain, reports to them. Um, you know, and just the, the the panic that one of the characters in that trailer says when he when James Bond is trying to talk to him and says, "You're kite dancing in a hurricane." which was actually a line I had an NPC say to you guys at one point. You know, and then that sort of dark thing at the end where he goes up to Blofeld, who's the head of Spectre, and, you know, Blofeld's down and concealed in shadows, and by all rights, shouldn't even know that James Bond is there because he's in this upper gallery surrounded by people. And he says something to the effect of, you know... I've been expecting you for so long, and now here you are. And, you know, it was that feel, that sense of this underdog taking on people that are capable of reaching everything, that they know so much about you and yet you know so little about them. And all of that, I mean, was awesome inspiration for, I won't say if they're good guys or bad guys. We'll just say an antagonistic faction within the Skies of Glass game.
3: Yeah, I love Cheyenne's comment about the feel. So that's something I hadn't really thought about. Like, I've taken locations. I've taken people I've seen. I've never tried to reproduce the feel. And that got me thinking. There was a, uh, this was years ago. I was working at Six Flags and we were doing a employee trade thing where we went up to Chicago, they came down to St. Louis during the uh, the few weeks when schools had kind of started. But those of us that like had college, or think we could do a little bit more travel. So we went up there. And the first year that I went up there, instead of setting us up in like a nice hotel or something, they set us up in the building they had bought specifically for bringing their international employees in, which was an old hospital particularly a mental institution (laughs) wing of it. And while we're there, it, it was really an unpleasant, nothing comfortable. But while we're there, one of the women that was there wandered downstairs and found the morgue. And so we hear just this scream and none of us know what's going on. And we rush down there and find out that she had just found the morgue and gotten freaked out. That is an interesting feel that... Now that I think about it, that could be a good basis for, like, a one-shot horror game of what do you find in this horrible location.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, one of the hospitals I worked at, they there was an entire empty wing except for one office at the very end of a hallway and all these open doors with old beds. And, like, there's still, like, a couple, like, little pieces of paper or charts just lying around. I'm like, anything could be in these doors or whatnot. And that'd be like a great like guessing game like anyone could come out or anything could happen right and it's just you and this one mission to deliver this one thing to someone at the very end right (laughs) yeah definitely the emotions and feelings you get in certain places can definitely help and translate to game one of my players did that she (laughs) she was very good during a, a one shot about isolating a single character and like running them through a whole loop of horrific thing. You have to be very quiet, sneaking through this person's home, right? Or else you will get attacked by some horrific monster getting just there, failing, and then having to try and escape as fast as you can. All of us were sitting around, just staring. It's like, oh my god, will you make it? Will you make it?
1: There's one that uh, I'm guessing Eric just threw out of police blotters. So There are two sources I can think of where I've seen this play into games. Uh, One of them is there's a lady that listens to our show whose, her name is Amanda. And at the time she was living in some really small nowhere town in, I think it was Montana. I don't even remember the name of this town. But the paper would publish the police blotter. And needless to say, I mean, nothing's going on up there, okay? So it's not like, you know, we found a body in the ditch. But you're out in the middle of nowhere. People get bored. People start drinking. A lot of weird things happen. And so there would be stories like, you know, Police called for public disturbance, man in fist fight with a moose in the parking lot of a bar. <laughs> and I mean, it was stuff that weird. I mean, it just was bizarre.
3: Yeah, there was a thread <laughs> on the forums just for those stories. And eventually a game got ran at Fear the Con one year that was in that town with all those stories happening.
1: Yeah, and where we ended up going with that, I say we, is well, I think it was Chad actually who decided to do something with this. Was I don't know if you you guys being the listeners know what the game Inspectors is, but Inspectors is sort of this supernatural investigators kind of Ghostbusters ish, but more like the really really old black and white Ghostbusters. They didn't have proton packs or anything. You know, it was like you just kind of show up with a camera and a notepad and an old revolver and try to sort this out. And it's a comedy game. It's totally meant to be a comedy game where you start off with these nonsensical calls, you know, of of stuff like that. And then the players have to both through GM cues and also through their own additions. Cause like, if you roll high enough in an investigation, the GM doesn't tell you what you found. You have to tell the group what you found And that now becomes the canon of the game. And so they would start being, you know, they'd have to figure out on their own, on the fly, one brick at a time, what the hell is going on here? Why is a man trying to punch it out with a moose in the middle of the night? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, it can't just be because he's drunk and insane. You know, it's going to be because that, like, moose is the reincarnation of his mother possessed by a demon. And, you know, I mean, it's... (laughs) There's just got to be some nonsensical trail there. One of the fun things about it is it also ties into all of
3: those history channel shows now that have nothing to do with history that are reality TV hunting shows. So in yeah. the game, you can do confessionals. And it's <laughs> instead of rolling dice, you spend your thing to do a confessional and you just you sit back and you tell what happened as it had happened to you. So you just kind of. Make it up as you go. And that's what happened.
1: And now it's after the fact. There was something similar that I used for a Shadowrun game. There's a uh, police blotter and current events paper that it's kind of hard to come by, but it's called The Evening Whirl. And it's here in St. Louis and it just gives you like current events and crime reports and it's hilarious because it is straight like 1990s gangster rap slang. I mean, that, that's how they give it to you. It's just like, you know, two thugs running down the street and rolled up on some granola chomping hippie and thought they'd made their day. And then boy pulls out and starts clapping. And I mean it's just laid out in this like super raw terms. And it works wonderfully in Shadowrun. This is, I mean, this is probably what a pirate radio station in the Barrens is going to sound like. You know, they're probably going to tell true stories, but not know what you're used to hearing them.
3: Yeah, it is interesting how many things out there you would never believe if somebody were writing it as fiction. And most of them come out of Florida.
2: (laughs) Yep, Florida man.
3: Yep. Florida man. (laughs) Now I love using news stories like that in games. I used to pick up like the tabloids, not the uh, celebrity ones, but the the other ones like, uh, you know, man bat has child with woman in Tennessee. <laughs> those were the ones I would get the black and white ridiculous stories. And those are there's all kinds of things you can just work into a game from one of those.
2: Oh yeah, what is it? Bigfoot uh, ran off with my wife. Stuff yep, like that. <laughs> exactly. I actually found a, a fun like a trope that led to a, an interesting game there's the the half vampire child of Dracula there's a million characters based off of that so I ran a Halloween game once where I was like I am in I, I'm giving all of my characters their own backstory all of you guys are vampire or um, vampire hunters which are all half vampire hunters, but you can't tell anyone because you will immediately be murdered by any other vampire hunter. It's like uh, you were born a half vampire. Your mom got bit when uh, she was pregnant with you. You were tortured as a child and turned into a half vampire. You're Dracula's great-great-granddaughter, stuff like that. And it just finding tropes like and just throwing them all together and it's like dracula accidentally invited all of them to a ball where he's only (laughs) supposed to take out he gets bored right so he'll fight one of his half vampire children every 50 years he messed up so now there's four of them there to try and kick his ass but none of them know who the other one is right (laughs) so without even realizing all these siblings together i'm like that's great but none of you can be named alucard no one (laughs) no one can be named that you guys can't all have the same name
1: it's kind of starting to sound like the world post Charlemagne. <laughs> so another, uh, another source is, uh, small little tidbits because i found that you can extrapolate off of them. Uh, so for example, let's, let's just say there's a scene in a movie that catches your eye, uh, my favorite of the star trek movies is star trek 6 i realize i'm supposed to say two but you know bite me um <laughs> but my favorite of the star trek movies is 6 and there's this scene in there uh where the a, a torpedo comes from next to the enterprise and they they think the enterprise itself actually sh- shot a klingon ship that was there on a diplomatic mission and Uh, You know, Captain Kirk has to, of course, figure out how does he balance diffusing and saving a diplomatic situation while not getting everyone on his ship killed. And so the Klingon ship that got hit, you know, it goes shields up, weapons on, and uh, comes about and faces down the Enterprise. And I mean, you see its front torpedo bay glowing, you know it's about to fire, And there's this this moment where Captain Kirk is just like deer in headlights and his crew is trying to get his attention and I remember Uhura uh, saying uh, our shields captain and then with increasing panic, Captain our shields! And Kirk ultimately tells her not to, you know, not to raise the shields uh, because he knows that that's going in in a fight. Okay, so now what is my point with that? That moment of tension can tell so many stories. You know, why did this happen? How did we get to a point where defending the ship is that difficult of a decision? You know, what are the things that would lead up to that? Uh, It could be that you're trying like them to save some diplomatic situation. It could be maybe you realize at this point in the story, you've done some things wrong. You know, that you really are kind of the aggressor. Uh, Maybe there's some kind of, I don't know, like nomad or evil AI that's kind of screwing with your ship. And you know, if you put it, you know, into a yellow or red alert setting that this AI gets to come online and take over control of the ship. And it might save the ship, but there's no telling what it does after that. Uh, But, you know, you start coming up, you just start uh, just free associating these reasons why you could end up in that moment. And you know what? When you play the game out, that actual moment may may never occur, but you can still use it as a point of inspiration. uh, Just asking those questions of how did we get here? What are the possible outcomes? And, you know, you start to stitch together a story from that.
3: So, before Gage severely sidetracks us from the, uh, the chat, uh, I have something kind of like that that I do. And it may be a bit morbid, but I go to, I love going to estate sales. And the morbid part is a lot of times when you're in an estate sale, it means somebody has died. Uh, it may be somebody's losing their house. Usually, a estate sale is never a good thing for the family. But as you walk around the house, it starts to tell a story. And I start to ask myself the story of the people that live there and, you know, why is, why is this room decorated the way it is? There's a chip off the wall. How did that happen? You know, what are these selection of books? And sometimes there's some really interesting things that people have done for adding on to their house. And it makes me start thinking through that process of how did they get there? Who are those people? And then a lot of times those people become NPCs in one of my next games because I've built them in my mind, seeing how they lived.
1: You know, something... Oh, I'm sorry, we're being... Gage. Yep.
0: So, um, Gage cashed in some points and seized the initiative. Uh, oh, so, what that uh, what that means is that uh, his, his question gets bumped to the front of the line. Uh, so, he, and it can, it does it can be a non sequitur. So, and that's exactly what he just did. <laughs> so, he just threw a monkey wrench in this conversation. Uh, I'm shaken.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, if you had to share a sunset cruise with one CW character, who would it be and why? At bonus points, if you can include which. CW character, you would take vampire hunting.
1: The answer to both is uh, Stephen Amell's Green Arrow.
3: (laughs) Sunset Sunset Cruise would be uh, Supergirl, because if the boat goes down, I'm fine. She can fly me away. Vampire hunting though, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Because it became CW when her show was still on. Hmm.
2: Uh, Sunset Cruise, I think well, I'm going to take Castiel from Supernatural because he needs a vacation. And sticking with Supernatural, I'll take Dean with uh, the vampire hunting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. Okay, that, that was an yeah. interesting question. I So, <laughs> which CW character? You know, I think the only reason I was able to answer that so quickly is because... Uh, You know, the whole Arrowverse thing, it always struck me as this experiment in The Compromise show of, can you make a soap opera, you know, which is obviously a a stereotypically female form of storytelling, and if instead of using a doctor with an eye patch, you throw (laughs) in Batman characters, would both the man and woman watch it? And the answer is apparently yes, because I watched a lot of seasons of a lot of those shows, and you would never catch me dead watching a soap opera.
3: What I don't get is your choice for the uh, the cruise, because the last time Oliver Queen got on a cruise ship, it went down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's true, but I you I mean, think he recovered. also... You got to think about the time leading up to that. Well, and also, yeah, several people that went down that went down with that ship ended up alive. But I mean, nobody in his universe dies. Um, but I think it's it's also uh, you got to think about the time leading up to that. So you know, I Stephen Amell's a really cool guy, and I like his character as well. So, uh, but I've seen some interviews with him from like Comic Con and such, and he's just a really neat guy. So. Yeah, i take that. I mean, you know, I'll just I just need to be sure that I have some kind of I can't tell them everything about my past because that guarantees there's more to flesh out later. So I'll be back. <laughs> like, it might, you know, if I'm too straightforward with him, I'm dead. You know, yeah, if you I can't I, finish I, your story arc. Precisely. <laughs> exactly. As long as my story arc's incomplete and that's easy enough to do. You know, I'm good at at doing weird stuff and kind of, you know, playing my own non-sequiturs. So, yeah, I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And where do you
3: go from that one?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to back right up because I've had people try to derail me for 14 years on a podcast and it hasn't worked yet. Um, So we were talking about going through people's old stuff. And, Wayne, you were talking about going to estate sales and trying to piece together what kind of person this was or what kind of, you know, if we presuppose there was some uh, underlying plot to their life, what was it? And one of the things that I have found is great for that is people's notes. And I don't, you don't have to have anything as interesting as a diary. It can be old cards, old postcards. Uh, it can be what they wrote in the uh, margins of a textbook or college notes. One of my favorite places to go for this is old Bibles. Uh, whenever somebody in the family passes away, I take their Bible. And the reason I do, among other things, is you know, you take something. You know, like a religious book, which is that intimate to how a person thinks, you know, even if they think it's all BS, you still get an interesting look into their mind. And uh, I have found so many like cryptic and kind of leading questions and comments in there that like, what were they going through? Like, I don't understand what this was about. But then you start trying to just imagine what is this about? Uh, there's a, uh, play, uh, one of the, I'm not going to call it great cause I didn't really like it, but one of the famous plays, uh, called Equus and what Equus is where it came from for anyone who, I don't know. Are you guys familiar with the play Equus? It was no. Yes. Okay. So the, the play Equus is about this kid who's kind of nuts and obsessed and, has this like pseudo love affair with a bunch of horses and then gouges their eyes out. I mean, it's really, it, it was th- what saved Daniel Radcliffe from being Harry Potter forever. Um, but where that play came from was the playwright whose name I forget was driving just on some long trip and was like out in the middle of nowhere. and happened to catch the news and In the news, there was this kid who had just been arrested uh, and he'd been hired as a stable hand for a local rancher. And this kid had gouged the eyes out of all of the horses. And what the playwright was trying to fill in is what kind of story, what kind of personal journey leads you to that? You know, I mean, something that specific and that graphic. I Maybe mean, poison the horse is okay, fine. He's just, you know, he hates the rancher or who knows what. But to gouge their eyes out? I mean, it's a sick thing, but it was him trying to piece together or make up his own middle story to this that is what led to the now fairly well known play of Equus.
3: So I remember I found uh, when I was moving out of my old house into the one I'm in now uh, in the basement, cleaning things out, I found behind one of the coverings on the wall, the work bag of a guy that had lived there. this is a house that was built in like 1957. So it had, you know, the guy was apparently in real estate and he has all of these notes on houses and details. and. It's just things like that fascinate me to get a glimpse into someone's life. Uh, I found once a book at a yard sale that was a pilot's journal. So he would do, he did all of his maintenance and checkoffs were in the book, and then he would make comments about every flight. And things like that really help me when I'm trying to flesh out an NPC that has, that I have no experience with what they've done, you know that gives me that glimpse into someone else's life that I would never have otherwise.
0: In the chat, Chris asks if, uh, has anybody used uh, songs for inspirations?
2: Um. Yeah, actually I had a character that I created a couple of years ago and the song believer came out. Something just like clicked with that song and for like her being a, a cleric but in the world she would be known as a peacekeeper and that's not just being um like and the thing is like in that universe like she could also use violence to keep peace as well And like watching the music video and just go like just this song just really ended up clicking with some characters and actually another thing i mentioned it i think last time i was on i found a module based off of the song actual cannibal shia labeouf (laughs) which was an amazing (laughs) module to run with
3: (laughs) I listened to an actual play of that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All I can think of, whatever anybody's mentioned, Shia LaBeouf, is the whole he will not divide us to descend into madness. (laughs) (laughs) If you look up the Internet Historian on uh, YouTube, he has an entire series on the he will not divide (laughs) us to descend into madness. Holy crap, (laughs) it's a a train wreck to watch. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, but don't. my answer is... Sorry, go ahead.
3: Yes, I actually don't think I've ever done this. I've had songs remind me of characters or things in-game, but I don't think I've ever based anything off of a song.
1: I have. I can think of two. Um, and I'm sure there's more, but I can think of just of two right off the top of my head. One is I ran probably what was my single best campaign of Shadowrun. This was prior gaming group. Um and the plot was inspired by the Blind Guardian song and the story ends. Um, And I don't remember exactly how the lyrics of the song played into the plot and such, because it's been several years. But I, I, the game was about these sort of uh, upending changes in the world. I don't want to say apocalyptic. They weren't like world ending. But, you know, things that were just going horribly wrong and horribly off script. And, you know, the the party which got into this, you know, I mean, they're Shadowrunners to make a buck, you know, but they ended up being caught in something so much bigger. Uh, the other has no lyrics. Uh, there is a band called Full Tilt that has a song called Aurora. And uh, this is another one for people listening to our actual play. Uh, Aurora FT, which is obviously the abbreviation of Full Tilt, uh, which in that in the game is Aurora by Future Technologies, uh, became a major plot point, uh, particularly in the second arc of the campaign. And it, there's no lyrics to the song, but I'm the sort of person where, you know, if I just kind of zone out or close my eyes while listening to a song, I start to picture things. You know, they, they make me think of things. Uh, and, you know, even if you don't quite have that vivid of an imagination, surely you can understand that something like Duel of the Fates is not an appropriate background song for the climax of a love story. <laughs> so, I mean, we all get that songs yeah. have feel and image to them. And I just kind of let that go the extra mile. And that inspired it a bit. Uh, Because, I mean, I started just seeing these images of, you know, sunrises and brightness and, you know, a a spaceship lost out among the stars and all of this stuff. And I just took those individual images. And it's like, how do I make these tell a story?
3: So Chris was asking me in chat uh, if there's a song I'd like to base one on. And really two songs come to mind. Uh, Metallica, Until It Sleeps is very visceral vivid images to me but i'd also like to do a time travel story based on uh black sabbath iron man i think either one of those would be interesting to start off as a pitch on either for a character or to be an actual iron man would be more a story versus uh until it sleeps would be a character
1: So there's a couple of questions in chat I want us to kick around, but I w- there's a point here I want to be sure to lay out while it's still fresh on my mind, which is when you're taking these little tidbits, if um, you are struggling with, well, what do I do with these tidbits? How do I turn a tidbit into something bigger in my game or, you know, or use it for genuine inspiration? There was an exercise that... Uh, we did when I was in kindergarten. And uh, what the the exercise was is the teacher would give one of the students a stack of like six pictures. And the pictures, I mean, they might have something recurring about them, like the same character peers in all of them. And what the teacher would ask the student to do is to put them in order And to tell this and to explain the story that they tell. And I think at the time, I made the mistake of presuming there was a right and wrong answer. You know, looking back on that as an adult, I'm 90 some odd percent sure there was no right or wrong answer to this game. But, you know, the human mind sees patterns. You know, if I tell you, Wayne and I were friends. I see a UFO. Wayne is no longer in my life. Now, I've not told you any story that connects these three points, but I'm going to assume most people listening to this are already picturing some kind of X-Files, if not X-Com type story coming out of this, you know, because that middle factor of I saw a UFO, surely that figures into why I don't see Wayne anymore. But I never said that. And, You know, you can do that with anything in life. You can take these little tidbits, take out a piece of paper or take out a bunch of flashcards, old couple bickering, uh, a lyric from a song I like, uh, why are there military bunkers surrounding Amboy, Illinois? Write all these down. You know, mix up those index cards and start to look for the pattern. Lay them out until somehow they all make sense to you. You know, your brain is filling in those empty spaces.
3: So one of the questions from the chat was, uh, this one was from Jenna Squatch. Have you ever used some obscure history to inspire your games? And for me, definitely. Uh, Could be obscure history, could be obscure urban myth from the area. Uh, I ran a game, a Halloween game, That was a Ghostbusters game based around all of the ghost stories around Six Flags. Some of those were based on actual historical events. Some of them were just ghost stories that had been told. Uh, Also, where we're at, the Cahokian Mounds, which aren't actually in Cahokia, are right across the river. Uh, There's a lot of mystery and a lot of history around them. Some things we know, some things we don't. And I've worked that into multiple games as major plots. Because... It fascinates me and I can go over and look at the artifacts and get inspiration from the artifacts and, you know, the stories that they have of what they do know.
2: Um, I'm from Saskatchewan, so I'm surrounded by prairie land and farmland a lot and some of the inspiration for one of the some of the episodes in mine, it takes place on a farm and they end up fighting like a shadow demon trying to steal someone's soul. But when I was little, you would sit there and you'd see all these old abandoned farmhouses or silos way off in the distance. And and just like looking out in there and trying to think like what could be there and like bringing that into my character's adventure at the farm, right? What would the animals say? What would you do if something like was there like off in the distance?
1: Uh, the answer is absolutely yes. I gave the example earlier of what's, you know, Amboy, which is, like I said, a town I had never even heard of before. Uh, another one I used in a game is one that uh, is not super well known, even among locals, and I doubt is much known at all outside of the uh, locals, is a now demolished place called the, the Coke Hospital or Robert Coke Hospital. And I used it in a, a uh, well, it's mostly the comedy game, but it had a horror moment. I use this for the horror part. But uh, to explain what Koch Hospital is, and I'll give you the cliff notes because it's a fairly complicated history. But in the 1850s, they established a uh, hospital that for highly transmissible diseases. And let's just say that the people were quarantined from the outside population, but you know, 1850s, they didn't have great controls. And so effectively, if you went here, you went here to die. Um, But they would put people in there. I'm skimming the history of like cholera, yellow fever, smallpox, uh, tuberculosis, so on and so forth. And uh, it was then later after all of this huge number of people had died in there uh, in terrible, terrible suffering to these infectious diseases. They did the only thing you could to make this place even creepier. And in the 1950s, uh, repurposed it to take care of uh, the homeless and mentally ill. And for anyone who knows your medical history, you know what a bang up job we were doing of that in the 1950s. So, I mean, this place just becomes a complete freaking nightmare. Uh, They have since bulldozed the building and they will not allow anything to be built there because they estimate there is somewhere between 18,000 and 35,000 unmarked graves on the property. And so they will not allow any new construction there because they know it's a mass grave, but they don't know how many or who. Um, and so it, it, you know, I used that, I, I, grabbed that and I set the party out down the road where Coke hospital is located. We're like, right now there's just like a gas station, you know, down the street from the empty lot where it used to be. And then I had like lightning strike and the power goes out and it comes back on. They're like, you know, all these years in the past and there's a bunch of scenes that I grabbed from the video game Outlast uh, that I use to sort of inspire some of the visuals there.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. St. Louis has so many haunted locations that are have all of this history. And Dan pulls one that is even worse than all of the well-known ones. And, I mean, we're the city that uh, The Exorcist happened in. Yeah, and yeah. we've got... The horrible things that happened at the Limp Mansion and you know their family. and I've worked them into a games too, actually researching what happened with the family. But yeah, Dan found one that was even worse than any of those.
1: So there's we some have... go ahead.
2: Oh, I was gonna say we have a, a question in chat from uh, Dusty Vansity. Have you ever used uh, situations from your own life to inspire? to inspire plot points if that's not too personal uh which ones and i have to go uh back to um walking through uh the hospitals and stuff like going into the places where people normally aren't allowed to i literally walked from uh, the basement it was just a simple leading from one hallway to another no windows really short like squat little like places to walk through to deliver things and yeah i definitely use that uh as like a secret passageway for some of my characters to go through to walk around a lord's uh, mansion and stuff that definitely walking around places like that definitely helps uh, in (laughs) spire at least me (laughs) what about you two
3: (laughs) i know i've gone back to the time i worked at six flags multiple times uh and had six flags be a setting but For actual events, nothing's really coming to mind where I can think of an event that I went through that I put in games. Some of them are just... The ones that I would go to that I think would be great for gaming are also just too close to me. And I don't want to throw that out there.
1: Yeah, that's... I mean, I can definitely come up with some. But they tend to be small anecdotes for the same reason Wayne stated that I believe it's uh, something to the effect of the human mind is most likely to remember things that we have emotion associated with and at that we are e- we most easily remember those that have negative aso- emotion associated with them so the vast majority of anecdotes that if you asked me just to spit all for my life they're not happy things. And they're, they're things I, quite frankly, would prefer not to think about. But have I taken things from my life? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that changed how I view uh, sci-fi games, particularly space opera, was, you know, I grew up in the St. Louis metro. I mean, it's not as bright as New York, but there's still a lot of light pollution. So, I mean, when you look up even in winter, You know, you see like Orion and the major stuff, but you don't really see a lot of stars. And a friend of mine was driving back to college when I was going to uh, college in a small town of Kirksville, Missouri, which is like way up next to nothing. And we were out in the middle of these farm fields, just driving down the highway. And all of a sudden I looked up and I remembered just how white the sky was um I don't mean white isn't it had no rhythm I mean white is in like just the, the sheer number of stars like I I had I had no idea that there weren't you know a few dozen or a few hundred stars that are visible but it was just like this blanket of stars I mean there were there were more points of light than there were points of darkness in the sky. And it just totally floored me. And um that's one example. Another example I can give you is I don't care what your belief system is, you want to be in about the creepiest place on earth. Be in the basement of an old church in the middle of the night. It is weird stuff, man. Like in uh there was a particular church because my, my parents have always been pretty active in their churches and such. So, growing up, I spent a lot of time in churches, you know, even after hours when they were working on a project for their class or something. And uh, I walked into, I mean, it was an old building. They'd repurposed a utility room as an office. And when I walked in there, I mean, you could see like the furnaces and stuff. But then there there were these big, unmarked drums. I mean, like 50, 55-gallon metal drums. They were just sitting there. I have no idea what was in them to this day. I have no idea why a church would even have giant industrial barrels sitting in its lower level. And then the icing on the cake, and I'm sure this was probably just the, the HVAC system or something. But I swear to you, what I heard sounded exactly like breathing um you think i yeah that's a moment i've drawn from i mean that's that sort of atmospheric horror um of just all these things occurring and not a hundred of them just two or three that just don't make sense but that sense of the of the fact that these things aren't connected that's terrifying i mean if somebody knocks on my door and then they're in my house that's one thing if i just turn around suddenly chad's behind me yeah we're still we're good friends but you think that ain't gonna freak me the <laughs> f out <laughs> i mean i'm probably gonna draw a gun on him because i don't know who or what that is You know? um but it's, it's just these weird disconnected moments that i think make for great storytelling yeah see i go a
3: completely different place with your description of that basement Because I grew up in Jefferson County, Missouri, where there was a church where the kids' youth group was running a meth lab out of the church basement. Oh. So I hear barrels. The first thing I'm thinking is meth lab.
1: No, this was – they weren't making meth. There were a lot of shenanigans going on in that church. I know what they were, and meth was not on the list. I mean, whatever this was, it was either industrial or previously industrial.
3: So I have thought of one other thing I always go back to. I spent time early in my career as an intern on a, you know, on a help desk, answering phones for computer support. Anytime I have somebody in a game that doesn't know how to use a computer, I immediately start pulling stories from my help desk, from the people that would call the, I legitimately met people that would have floppy disks held up onto their, uh, you know, their filing cabinet with a magnet.
1: Oh, excellent. Ooh. It's not an urban
3: myth. I saw it happen. <laughs> had a woman that had plants above her desk and she would water them every morning and the water would pour down into her monitors. So I got to call Dell and tell them that the monitor smells like burning.
1: So there's a question Gage asked that everybody sit down. I, I want to acknowledge the question. I think it's too big to answer in the remaining five minutes of the show, but I don't know, maybe Eric wants to take this up for a future show because I think it probably is an entire show unto itself. But the question is, obviously, you can take inspiration and file the serial numbers off, but how do you tackle gaming in the universe of established worlds? So how do you have a game set in Star Wars where you're doing something more than following in the footprints of you know, the meaningful things being done by Luke and Leia and Han, or how do you gain them in Star Trek and not have the game just be centered around what the Enterprise is doing. And that's that's an outstanding topic. We've dealt yep. with it multiple times on Fear the Boot as full shows. It's a good question, G- Gage, but there is no way I can tackle it five minutes. Yep, same here.
2: yeah maybe just like concentrate on the smaller moments, what makes it more personal, but yeah, that is (laughs) a very broad topic. And actually before we go, I just wanna throw this out there. Another good place for like finding maybe some inspiration is looking up uh, writing prompts online, just like one or two sentences or like a quick little dialogue things between characters that can absolutely like inspire like crazy things and whatnot. Because they have some really interesting little prompts to do and one more thing i know um, m- i think most of us might be adults but um go to dress up game sites for like this is for like npcs go up to like little dress up game sites and just hit random a few times that'll definitely help uh it'll help you figure out what like some characters or npcs will look like <laughs> it is Sweet. a lot of fun to do
1: <laughs> dress up games I'm Googling this now because I have... Oh, actually, there's a site called Dress Up Games. I was thinking something like City of Heroes or something like that with character creators. Hello, Yeah, character
3: creators.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, for sure.
3: One thing I've been doing lately that I think may end up eventually giving me ideas is I've reached out to some of my family members that are getting fairly older and started trying to get their stories. I, uh, for my mom and my dad for Christmas, I got them both books that it, they're question prompts all through it to get their history and their stories. I've got a write up my mom already gave me, but these were different types of questions. Uh, I've done some of that at like family reunions, tried to talk to the, you know, the elderly relatives and just get some of the stories because those are lives. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting things that can inspire you. That you and it's just good to have because, you know, every year at the family reunion, I watch as the pe- the crowd gets smaller and smaller. So yep. it's like those stories will be gone otherwise. And if I can make them live on, whether it be in something I'm writing or an NPC in a game, then I'm honoring those people in my mind at least.
0: All right. Well, we're about out of time. So uh, how about letting everybody know where to find you?
1: I, I do have a question real quick for uh, VC, and this is one we can tackle in a future show. But uh, he was asking, um, what's one thing you've always wanted to work into a game that haven't yet that is subject reverential. Now, I need a clarification. Do you mean reverential or referential? Because my answer to that question would completely change based on which word you're after. Um, But I'll answer that one offline or in a future show. Uh, So once again, my name is Dan. You can find me at feartheboot, like beafraidoftheshoe.com. And you can find the actual play games we do at ap.feartheboot.com. Um, that's, I bounce around from place to place, but that's the primary spot you can find me.
2: Uh, my name is Cheyenne, and you can find uh, me at the Chicks with Crits podcast, or on uh, Twitter at Cars Jams.
3: All right. Uh, I'm Wayne. You can find me at feartheboot.com and I am uh, at Valigor on Twitter and I'm going to try to be a little more active on Twitter for a little while. We'll see how long that lasts.
1: Oh, I'm (laughs) perfectly inactive on Twitter. If you want to see anything about my life, send me a friend request on Facebook. I tend to accept those pretty blindly. But yeah, I'm horrible with Twitter. I don't do jack on there.
0: All right. Well, thank you, uh, Dan, Cheyenne, and Wayne for hosting this week. Uh, Thank you, Gage, for seizing the initiative and completely screwing up our flow with the CW question. (laughs) Uh, Chris uh, woke up and asked a question about uh, songs for inspiration. That was nice. Uh, Jenna Sasquatch uh, asked about the history. That's awesome. And uh, of course, uh, Dusty Van City came in and asked about your own life questions, uh, which is awesome as well. Thank you all for watching. Uh, Next week's uh, Gavin, Chad, and Nick. We'll see you next time.